Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. good to see everybody. Man, I'm so excited to be here. I'm honored to be asked. Thomas, thank you. James, thank you for asking me to share this morning. I, Man, I, I've been having such a good time this week. This, this fellowship is unbelievable. This room contains and this conference has contained my best friends in the world. You know, I, I, I'm getting so much from the teaching but even if there was no teaching, my cup would be full just from the fellowship, you know. And so, man, what, what, a, what a blessing this conference is. And, man, I just appreciate so many of you guys and everything that's gone into this, from the, from the Oakland Heights volunteers to the speakers. And so, man, what a, what a blessing. But, man, I, I'm, I'm excited to share. This, is, this, is a, this has been a, a crazy season of life. It's like the, kind of like a never-ending season. It's like, when will the transitions ever end is kind of how, how it feels right now. I haven't just been transitioning in ministry. I've been transit. We've, mo- we've moved an hour down the road so that we could get closer to the church. We just had our fourth child, and so I've got a three-week at, ho- at home, and so just when the dust was finally about to settle, we just throw a baby in the mix, you know, the, the classic... What's the, who's the comedian? You're, you're, you're treading water and somebody throws you a baby. (laughs) That's kind of how it feels. It's It's a blessing, but holy smokes, man, it gets, it gets pretty crazy. So yeah, so there, there's, there's been a lot of, a lot of ministry transitions and and I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Let, let, let me pray for us one more time, if you don't mind, uh, before we begin though. Father, we, we love you. Again, I thank you for this, the, this fellowship. I thank you for these friends. I thank you for these people. And I thank you for this opportunity to open up your word and to share some of the supernatural truths from it. I pray, God, that you would just help me to get out of the way. I pray, God, that you would soften our hearts and prepare our hearts. And I pray, God, that there would be things that people are able to take with them out of this session and certainly out of this conference that we're going to actually apply to our lives, God. May we not just keep filing away things in the memory banks, God, but may we truly apply them to our lives. And we love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so like I was saying, I, you know, I'm, I'm talking about transitions in ministry in this session, and obviously I'm Part of the reason I'm talking about transitions in ministry is because that, that is actually what, I, what I've done. And so it, it, to begin, to me, it seemed fitting that I at least share with you guys my ministry transition story for a second. I, I, I think some of you know it, not all of you do, uh, but as a lot of you guys know, my, my dad was a pastor and, and he went home to be with the Lord a little over two years ago now. And, you, you know, as far back for me as a teenager, I felt like in my heart that somehow, some way, someday, I was going to be in ministry. I didn't know exactly 
what it looked like. I didn't know where. I didn't know what. I, I didn't, the details, right, were completely foggy. I just believed that that was what God ultimately had for me. And, and that was just where my heart was. You know, as, as time went on, the drumbeat just got louder. I imagine there's probably people here that are kind of vibing with being at that place in their life. The drumbeat's just getting louder in your life, and you're like, man, if I don't do something in ministry, I'm going to explode, right? And you're just, the drumbeat gets louder as time goes on. And man, this is something that me and my dad talked about so many times. We dreamed about it. And just, man, what could it look like? Could we, could we do it together one day? How awesome would that be? And, you know, before COVID hit, we had started a, a Bible study out of my house, and we were just praying, man, could that, could I be sent out, and could that become a church plant? And then, you know, of course, COVID hits, and the world shuts down, and that wasn't, you know, that didn't jive well with the Bible study, and so that kind of, we pumped the brakes on that. In the meantime, you know, my my dad's, you know, he, his, his cancer had metastasized, and he, his, he, he, his health had started to decline, and we didn't have any idea at this time just exactly how fast his health was going to decline. But about three weeks or so before my dad passed, uh, around January or February of 2021, I, I guess it was, uh, Corey Gordon, the, the lead pastor at the time of Cali Harbin Baptist Church, had, he had hit me up to, to grab some lunch. And we were already friends. We had gotten to know each other, and I, had, I knew him from my dad guest speaking at, at Cali Harbin, and I knew him from some real estate stuff we had done. But I, I had heard already through the grapevine that, that Corey was potentially looking to take a step back and change his role. He had been the lead pastor for almost 16 years at this point, burning the candle at both ends, bivocational, secular job, and and he was looking for a change. And so he texted me about this meeting right around the time I had started hearing about what was going on in his world. And, of course, my dad's not feeling that well. So I'm texting my dad. I'm like, you think this could be about what I'm thinking it could be about? And he's like, well, he tried to reach out to me too, and I couldn't get with him. But I don't know. You'll just have to go to the meeting and, and find out about what it, what, it, what it was. And so... Anyway, me and Corey sit down, and we have a lunch, and he presents to me, it was what I thought it could be. We, he could be meeting me about what it was that, you know, and so I was like, holy smokes, you know, is this like, is this, is this the thing, you know, is this what we've been waiting for, this is what God had, and where he was just directing the path to, to this place, and so I get, I get in the car after, uh, after we, me and Corey met, and I just, I don't even back out, right? I text my dad, and I'm like, Dad, it was about what we thought it might be about. What are you thinking about that? You know, it's like, wow, this is, this is all, it's all happening. Like, holy smokes, we've been talking and praying and dreaming for all these years, and it's like, wow. And so I would have usually called him and not texted him, um, and but he was always so good about taking my call. I hated to call him when he wasn't feeling well, and he was super nauseous. We didn't, 
I don't even think we knew why he was so nauseous at the time, but that cancer had metastasized to his brain. So I'm like, I'm not going to make him feel obligated to take my call. I'm going to text him. As soon as I text him, my phone rings. That's him. And, you know, and he's not his normal self on the call, but because he, because of obviously because of the way he felt. But so we're talking and it's like, whoa, like you thinking what I'm thinking? He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, that's, I, I think I'm thinking what you're thinking. And so it's like, man, this, 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 you know, this, this could be, this could, this could be it. And so anyway, we, we end up, it, it, the, that was ultimately what the Lord had. Obviously, my, my dad went home to be with the Lord, you know, weeks, weeks later, he ends up going home to be with the Lord. Of course, the timing of that was, was crazy. We dreamed about doing this together. And the second the door is opening for me, after all the things that we dreamed and talked about, He's going home to be with the Lord, and I'm transitioning into ministry. And so, it was, it was a it, yeah, it was a it was a crazy story. Lots of transitions of losing my dad, transition ministry. All of these things are are going on all at the all at the same time. But uh, about June of 2021, I came on as the associate pastor at Cali Harbin, and then I transitioned into lead pastor uh, July of 2022. And so. Corey and I basically traded places. He became associate, and then, and then I took over as lead. And so, and so that's, that's kind of my, that's my ministry transition story. I, I transitioned from a secular job to associate pastor, then associate pastor to, to lead pastor. And man, I'm just super thankful for all of those things because every step along the way, as crazy as it was, God has just had his hand on it. He's just had his hand on me. He's had his hand on the situation. And I just feel super blessed. Corey has been great. The people of Cali Harbin have been great. And it's just, I, I'm just, I've just been pinching myself and I feel very blessed as to the doors God has opened and how things have transitioned thus far. But that being said, that, that, that's my story. That's my ministry transition story. I wanted to at least Get you, pull some of you in the loop who had never heard that. But as I share that, let's now that I've shared that, let me go. Let's go ahead and, and dive in because I, what I'd like for us to do with our time this morning is is kind of take a closer look at one of the major ministry transitions in the Bible, and, and that ministry transition is the transition from Moses to Joshua. As you study all of the details that that God laid out for us in the midst of this change in leadership, there's just, man, there's just a whole lot that we can glean from this ministry transition when we study this. And I know this is a story that, that most of us are familiar with in this room, but just let me remind you of some of the events that led up to this ministry transition just so that it's all fresh in our minds. God tells Moses, he says, Speak to the rock so that the, so that the water will come out of it and so that the Israelites can drink r water from this rock, right? And you guys all remember what happens. Instead of speaking to the rock, he hits it a second time with his rod. And, and like you'll recall, man, that did not go over well with God. And God says, because of that, you're going to see the promised land from a distance but you're not going to lead people into it before your death. 
And then the last chapter of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 24, it details for us the death of Moses and then, and then Joshua chapter 1 details for us what's going on immediately after Moses passes away as this major tra- ministry transition happens and Joshua takes over. Now, with that reminder, let's just take some time to see what God is wanting to teach us through this ministry transition from Moses to Joshua. I don't think we usually view the story through this lens, but this is a major detail of this story. And that brings us to the first thing I'd like for us to see is, is that I'd like for us to see, number one, the predicament. Number one, the the predicament. As leadership changes in ministry, it's important that I at least mention the predicament that we're in, instantly in, just by the sheer nature that there's a leadership change. We immediately enter, it's a predicament, because we've been immediately plunged into a situation that has the potential to be very volatile. It's a situation where we're susceptible and prone to things getting sideways on us fast and taking a turn for the worse. That's just the nature of being in the midst of a major leadership change. You could be the closest thing to Jesus that the world has ever seen. And it doesn't change the fact that that when there are transitions in ministry, they are just potentially volatile by nature. Because people don't always like change, do they? We, we, we don't like it. In fact, most people, most people hate it. They may like you, but they don't like change. And so we have ourselves a predicament. It lends itself to being potentially volatile. And, and if we don't go into a ministry transition, y'all, with that on our mind, if, we're, if we don't have that on our radar while being conscientious of this predicament and and sympathetic to the situation that others are adjusting to, I fear we may learn the hard way exactly how volatile it can be. Here's how it shook out in transition from Moses to Joshua. Like I mentioned, God lets Moses know he isn't going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. He's going to die. Joshua's going to take over and he's going to lead the children of Israel, into the promised land. And and here's the account of Moses' death. Deuteronomy chapter 34 in verse 7. Deuteronomy 34, 7, and it says, And Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. So Moses dies, and for 30 days, the children of Israel are weeping and mourning and boo-hooing. That's a long time. So so I think that it's safe to say that as Joshua was taking over to lead a group of people that had been weeping for 30 days, I think he was entering a pretty volatile situation. This group hardly sounds stable at this point. They maybe could have used some counseling. They loved Moses, man. And and I understand in in most cases, our our ministry transitions aren't going to include somebody dying. I get that. 
But it's important to understand that it will feel like that to some people because they're grieving the loss of their leader or their pastor that they love. Oftentimes, the guy being replaced led some of these people to the Lord. Oftentimes, the guy being replaced did their wedding. Oftentimes, the guy being replaced discipled them. And at the very least, God did work in their hearts through that person, through their preaching. So so again, I just want to remind us that, that a ministry transition is by nature a potentially volatile situation. So we need to keep that in mind. Corey did a, a great job as we were getting close to transitioning, and, and I was getting ready to transition into lead pastor. His, his line was, you guys don't have to worry. You're going to hear the same type of things you've been hearing from me. Justin's just going to say I'm a little nicer. <laughs> and, and if you know Corey, you know what I'm talking about. And so that, 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 that was his line. But in other words, he understood the potential volatility of the situation. He was setting the stage to curb any of that and remind everybody this thing isn't about a person or a, or a personality anyway. This thing's about the word of God and his truth. So, so that's the predicament. But something else I want us to see this morning that, that also comes from a more negative angle is number two, the pitfalls. Number two, the the pitfalls, and man, obviously we could go around the room and, and have everyone give an example of potential pitfalls when transitioning into ministry, and I'd imagine if we did, we'd probably get quite a few different answers, but if I were to sum up what seems like people struggle with, in my estimation, it comes down to We have the tendency to want to make a name for ourselves. Listen, anytime you are new to leadership or just new to a different leadership position, it is human nature to have this struggle. And if you're denying that, how'd Troy say it last night? I love you enough to tell you you're lying. Something like that, right? Everybody in the world has at least had to process through that. We we want to make a a name for ourselves. It's this human nature thing. And so anytime we transition, it's it's just natural. What, What happens when you get a new job or a new position in the secular world? How does that thing usually work out? Well, especially right out of the gate, how you feeling? You're ready to kick some tail. You're ready to show what you can do. You're ready to prove yourself. You're excited to make a name for yourself in that company. If you've ever been the new kid at school, what did you have to fight the urge to do? You had to fight the urge to make a name for yourself. Many a detention has been handed out for the brother trying to make a name for himself in school. And, 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 and there's no one immune to that, and it's a key pitfall as we're transitioning into new positions in ministry. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves really quickly falling into that satanic trap of wanting to share in the glory that's only meant for God. What my, what my dad used to say to, to people in ministry, he, he had a line he used all the time. He said two things. Stay humble, stay pure. 
Those are, the, those are the things, man. Those are the two things that always seem to ruin those in leadership. And obviously, the urge to make a name for yourself is rooted in lacking being humble. It's very rooted in pride. Here, here's what can happen. Well, buddy, you got some big shoes to fill trying to transition into ministry after, those guy, after that guy. And how you respond to that is where you really figure out where your heart's at in the whole thing. Because the normal fleshly response is, well, those may be big shoes, but I got big feet. Right? But, but, I, but I think the proper view of this thing is, you were never called to fill his shoes anyways. You were called to fill your shoes. We'll all be held accountable for what we did with what God gave us. But if we're not careful, we'll start wanting to make a name for ourselves and we'll forget what this whole thing is all about. God, I want you to receive the glory, but I just want to have a little bit of that too, if, if you don't mind. And, and here's, what, here's what falling in that trap will cost. You're in this new position. You're, you're excited. You have big plans. You have high expectations for the future. Nothing wrong with that. But you start combining that ambition with a guy that's struggling with wanting to make a name for himself, and you start making you some bad decisions. And you know what you start doing? You start making fast changes. You start, you, you start making decisions and changes too fast, and what you end up doing is you end up turning that ship too fast. And you know what happens when you turn a ship too fast? You start throwing people off the ship. And you lose people. <clears throat> and then you say, well, they went out from us because they weren't of us. Addition by subtraction with them anyway. right? And in some cases, both those things are true. But sometimes we throw good people off the ship because we're turning the ship too fast. We're coming in guns blazing in the name of serving the Lord, but secretly in the name of making a name for ourselves, and we end up throwing people off the ship. And I get it, man. We all have, we all have a different shape. We, all, we, we, we see things different, and so sometimes we want to do things different. But it's important that we use discernment as we're navigating these decisions so that we don't throw people overboard unnecessarily. Remember, by nature, it's a very volatile situation to begin with, so we may just want to turn that ship just a little slower. There may be times that it's necessary to make some fast turns to avoid danger, but a lot of times we need to just slow it down, especially when we've just transitioned into ministry and everybody is acclimating themselves to the new guy. And while I'm throwing in quotes from my dad there, here's a, here's another one that fits too well not to share and here it is we have to keep in mind there are some fatted calves that you slaughter and there are some fatted calves that you starve and and that just essentially means that sometimes you make a fast turn to slaughter it and other times you make a slow turn to starve it and, and, and if we're not getting ahead of ourselves, wanting to make a name for ourselves, it's going to be a whole lot easier to spot the difference between which we should do. Now, some of you will be like, 
fortunate enough that, as I have been, where you don't enter a situation with fatted calves. But others of you will, and when you do, it's important that you know the difference. But, but making a name for ourselves, it'll cause us to make unnecessary mistakes along the way. And you just have to love the way that Joshua navigated his ministry transition, which we're about to look at. Because if there was anybody that could feel, that could, that could be especially prone to falling victim to wanting to make a name for yourself, it's got to be the guy following Moses, right? I mean, <laughs> Moses was the man, let's face it. He led the nation of Israel out of captivity and he crossed the Red Sea. Deuteronomy 34.10 says, And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. There was no one else like this guy who the Lord knew face to face. The Lord spoke to Moses, as the Bible says, like a man speaks to his friend. So you talk about a tough act to follow. You talk about having the propensity and just the natural inclination to want to make some sort of a name for yourself when you follow a guy like that. That doesn't justify it, of course, but you can see how that could be a struggle. Hi, I'm the loser that followed the great Moses here now, right? Like, that doesn't feel great. But, but I want you to see how Joshua handles this ministry transition. In Joshua chapter 1, Moses has died. Joshua is leading Israel now. God has commissioned Joshua, and now Joshua has assumed command. He's, and Joshua here is about to bark out his first orders. I mean, this is a big deal right now. This is a, it's a big moment. And, and you'd think that maybe subconsciously part of Joshua would be thinking, all right, this is my moment. This is, this is, this is my time. We're going to make a clear-cut distinction. I'm the guy now. But here's what he does instead in his first words to Israel as their new leader. Look who he's talking about the whole time. Joshua chapter 1 in verse 10. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host and command the people, saying, Prepare you victuals, for within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. And to the Reubenites and to the Gadites and to the half-tribe of Manasseh spake Joshua, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God hath given you rest and hath given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of Jordan. But ye shall pass before your brethren armed, all mighty men of valor, and help them, verse 15, until the Lord have given your brethren rest as he hath given you. And they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then ye shall return unto the land of your possession and enjoy it which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of Jordan toward the sunrising. Joshua doesn't actually start talking until verse 11, but three times in three sentences, he brings up Moses. And of course, he brings up the Lord six times as well, and it speaks to the heart of Joshua. This wasn't about him. This wasn't his big, shining moment. This wasn't about making a name for his sorry self, as soon as he opens his mouth as the new leader, he's talking about his boy Moses. 
And, and when he's not talking about Moses, he's talking about the Lord. Like, like has been said through the years, it's amazing what can be accomplished when no one cares who's getting the credit. And instead of Joshua being concerned about, oh, what a tough act I've got to follow. Moses was the man. I've got to be the man too. And, and being concerned with making his mark and making a, making a name for himself, the first chance he gets, he leaves himself completely out of it, and he talks about God, and he pays respect to the leader before him. You don't think Joshua felt the heat being the new leader and following the guy he followed? Of course he did, but he didn't allow it to become a pitfall. So, so, so we've talked about the, the predicament, and we've talked about the, the key pitfall of, of transitioning in ministry. And now I want us to look at the perspective. Number three, the, the perspective. What should our perspective be as we navigate transitions in ministry? There are three things I want us to see that, that I think are going to help us have a proper perspective. And the first one is, letter A, it's bigger than us. This whole thing of ministry is bigger than we are. It, it, it's amazing. You, you see someone get in this position of leadership and, and things are going well and they're, they're good at what they do. But you can tell by the way everything is structured and by the way the ministry is viewed by the people that it's as if there's this belief that this thing just couldn't go on if it wasn't for this guy. Without their gift and their talents and their leadership, this ship would sink. And I think it's important that we keep the perspective that the ministry of Jesus Christ and bringing people into his kingdom is so much bigger than any one person. And that we are replaceable if Moses was replaceable, I think we're replaceable. Regardless of how good we are at what we do, if we transition into the ministry with the perspective and understanding that we're replaceable, I think it'll help keep us between the white lines. Because think about this. How is someone other than Moses going to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land? I mean, that almost seems criminal, doesn't it? I already mentioned it earlier, but Deuteronomy 31.2 says that, that not only after all the positive that Moses had done and all he'd accomplished, not only did he not get to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land, but God says, time for you to just go ahead and die. Adds <laughs> a little insult to injury. And, and one of the reasons is because God is moving to establish his kingdom and that movement was so much bigger than Moses. And God moving to establish his kingdom now is way bigger than any one of us. That's the perspective. The next perspective that's important for us to have as we transition in ministry is, is that we have a specific mission and battles. Let it be, we have a specific mission and battles. Now, again, it's... It's bigger than us, so God can get somebody else to do what he wants us to do. But that doesn't mean that God's desire and intention wasn't for us to accomplish that mission. Now, now we're all called to be active participants in the Great Commission. You've been here, clearly you know that. But especially as leaders, as, as we transition in ministry, we need to understand and have the perspective 
going in that God is going to have something specific for us to do. And and he's going to have specific battles that he has you there to fight for just such a time as this. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 2, it spells that out for us. God is commissioning Joshua, and he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. God says, all right now, I've got something specific for you, Joshua. You have a specific mission, and there are battles that I want to use you to lead the children of Israel to fight. You're the guy for that. Now, 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 the, the, now the mission of leading the nation of Israel into the promised land, that was a mission that only Joshua received. And whatever ministry that you're going to transition into, God has something specific for you too. When, when, when Corey had first become the lead pastor at Cali Harbin, God had something specific that he had for him to do. One of the first things he had to do was he had to weed out the legalism, right? There's many of us in this room that have a lot of history with that. But with the way Corey's put together, God had exactly who he wanted, where he wanted to fight the battles that needed to be fought at that time. I'm just thankful he went ahead and fought those before I, before I got there. You, you got that, Corey. That's all you, bro. I'm glad he got in front of that. But now I'm there, and now I have a specific mission that God has for me, and I have different battles that I'm going to fight. Now, I'm not certain what all of my battles are going to be. Check in with me next time. But there will most certainly be battles. And, and, and that leads us to, to letter C on your study sheet. Expect problems. We need, we need to expect problems. I know I'm bringing a lot of optimism this morning. Aren't you glad you came? I am actually an optimist at heart, I'll have you know, but for our purposes this morning, I I feel the heat to be a realist as well. And and, and I know that this point seems very basic, and, and, and I know that to some degree we all understand the fact that we should expect some problems, but I'm not sure that we always understand exactly the degree to which we should expect problems. As we transition into ministry, man, sometimes it starts great, and I pray for you that it does, and we're sitting here thinking, man, this is just going to be the greatest, and then boom, we get knocked on your, you get knocked on your rear end, but but the reason I bring this up is so, so the inevitable, these inevitable problems, so that they don't surprise us, and so that they don't sideline us when they come. That's the fear, is that some of us will get so hit so hard as we transition into this new position of ministry that it sidelines us from moving forward in the ministry. Or we move forward, but we're so scarred that we don't continue moving forward in a manner in which the Lord would have for us. Here's how it shook out for Joshua. Certainly, Joshua's life is characterized by victory, Right? I mean, Joshua had it pretty good. They're conquering the land, and he's dividing the land, and and it's an exciting time. And then Joshua leads the nation of Israel to this huge victory. 
in the battle of Jericho. And you have to imagine at this point they're, they're riding high. But it all comes to a halt because there was sin in the camp. And it was a guy by the name of Achan. And he had taken of the accursed thing according to Joshua chapter 7 and verse 1. And so God's angry with the children of Israel. And, and so afterwards Joshua sends some men to conquer Ai, unknowing to him of the sin. And and there were so few people in Ai that Joshua didn't even send as many men as he normally would have. And the men of Ai, they end up killing about 36 men of the children of Israel. And the ones they didn't kill ran off like little girls. They They ran for their lives. And here's how Joshua responds in Joshua chapter 7 and verse 6. And Joshua rent his clothes, and he fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. He and the elders of Israel and, and, and put dust on their heads, and Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. So as great as Joshua was, and as mighty of a man that he was, this is how he responds to his first bit of adversity. And I think it goes without saying that he went a little over the top with his reaction to this. Because I'm not so sure that he had a realistic expectation of the problems he would run into. And if a guy like Joshua's expectations were flawed, I think we're probably capable of the same as well. And and I want you to see how God responded to Joshua freaking out. Joshua chapter 7 and verse 10. Here's his response. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? God's like, get your rear end up. Technically, it was more like get up off your face. Different body parts, same idea. God's saying, get up, man. Joshua, what in the world are you doing wallering around there in your self-pity? God's giving him a little tough love. It's almost like God's saying, get up. What did you expect? And and I think it's important, despite how simple that seems to be, that we're sure that our expectations are in line with reality so that the Lord doesn't have to come to some of us and say, Get up off the ground, man. What are you doing down there? Tough times and problems, they're inevitable. And it's important as we transition in ministry that we're prepared for that. So we've seen the problems, the the pitfall, the perspective of transitions in ministry. And now I want us to see, number four, the the priorities. The priorities. So, So as we transition in ministry, there Man, there's a lot of things we can get tied up doing. There's learning curves. There's all kinds of things. But there are some things that are priorities that we need to be pursuing all along the way. And there are a couple that we can glean from the transition from Moses to Joshua that I want us to see. And the first one is is to replace ourselves. We need to be prioritizing, replacing ourselves even though we've just gotten into this new position of leadership, we should already be thinking right from the jump, who's got next? 
It's so important that we approach ministry from this perspective. If we're transitioning to a position of leadership without the immediate pursuit of investing in others to train them up so that one day, if God directs, they may even replace us, then we're starting off on the wrong foot. Our priorities are likely a little out of whack. From the start, we should begin pouring our lives into someone else that can pour their life into someone else, and we should begin to train other leaders to do what we're doing so they can train other leaders that train other leaders. Looks a whole lot like discipleship. You know, when we're paying someone a a huge compliment, we'll say something like, that guy right there, he's one of a kind. That guy right there, man, he's one of a kind. And, And interestingly enough, when you've ever thought about that, when you look at that through the lens of discipleship, that's actually one of the worst things you could say about someone. I understand that certain people are extremely gifted at certain things, but if you're one of a kind, it means you didn't do the one thing we've been left on this planet to do, and that's reproduce and make disciples. We should be focused on and prioritizing reproducing ourselves. And, 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 and there's a lot of guys in the ministry that aren't trying to hear what I'm saying right now because when you train up leaders sometimes you lose people because those leaders want to be used and they tend to get sent out or they go out you tend to lose people when you plant churches at least initially because this that's just the math of it right you're you're sending people a lot of guys don't like that because they don't want to make disciples they just want an audience to listen to them flap their gums But as has been said, God hasn't called us to assemble an audience. He's called us to assemble an army. When you have an army, you have others rolling with you that have been trained and they're capable of being used in battle. You see, this is something that Moses understood. He understood the need to replace himself. He understood the importance of discipling somebody else that would ultimately be capable of taking his place. So Joshua, he first shows up in the Bible in Exodus chapter 17 in verse 9. And in Exodus 17, 9, Moses gave him the responsibility of leading the fight with Amalek. And and from then on, we see Moses intentionally developing Joshua. Moses and Joshua shared life and they they shared experiences together. And in Joshua 1, 1, Joshua is referred to as Moses' minister. Joshua was Moses' minister. He ministered to him. Joshua was serving Moses. Everybody remembers the story of Moses receiving the Ten Commandments. But but do you remember who else was there? Exodus chapter 24 and verse 12. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. And Moses rose up and his minister Joshua. And Moses went up into the Mount of God. There was someone else hanging around there that got to see all that go down, wasn't there? And we also see another reference to, of course, Joshua being Moses' minister in this passage. And it keeps going. Look at the scenario described in Exodus chapter 33, beginning in verse 9 with Moses and Joshua. 
It says, and it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudly pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And that's so unbelievable that it's really easy to stop reading there. But look at what it says next. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. You see that? Joshua's getting a peek behind the curtain. Moses let him stick around and see what was going on behind the scenes. But but, but here's what I want you to see that that really just gives some insight into Moses' heart regarding this whole thing of discipleship and and transitioning in ministry. And in Numbers 27, beginning in, in verse 12, here's what it says. And the Lord said unto Moses... Get thee up into this Mount Abarim and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. And when thou hast seen it, thou also shalt be gathered unto thy people as Aaron thy brother was gathered. For ye rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin and the strife of the congregation to sanctify me at the water before their eyes that is the water of Meribah and Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. So check this out. God has just told Moses... You're not going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land for hitting the rock for water instead of speaking to it like he'd been commanded. And not only that, again, he tells them, you're going to die. Now, if this were you, what emotions would you be feeling in this moment right now? What would your response be to God? Most of us would probably be so frustrated we could, we could hardly even in, see straight we'd probably be asking God something along the lines of, does the punishment really fit the crime, God? Like, this is pretty drastic. But look at how Moses responds to this, which, which gives us some insight into Moses' heart and Moses' priorities. Numbers twenty-seven fifteen, And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation." which may go out before them and which may go in before them and which may lead them out and which may bring them in that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thy hand upon him. When faced with the devastating news of not being able to lead Israel into the promised land instead of arguing with God about it, His priority was to come before God and say, Oh God, whatever you do, make sure they have another leader so that the Israelites aren't like a sheep with no shepherd. God, please make sure somebody takes my place. And God basically says, I'm glad you said that. That's exactly what I'm going to do. And I'm going to replace you with the guy you're discipling. Moses is concerned with replacing himself. Moses is concerned with the next generation. Listen, as we transition into different leadership positions in ministry, I want us to ask ourselves something. What kind of leaders are we if we're not thinking about the next generation? 
I mean, how short-sighted and selfish could we possibly be to build our own audience without any thought for the next generation? That's not what a true leader does. A true leader thinks about the next generation, and one of the ways we do that is by prioritizing replacing ourselves so that there's another leader to lead the next generation once we're gone or once we've moved on. Listen, discipleship is how we don't lose the next generation. We reach them by discipling and training them and equipping them for the work of the ministry. We don't reach them by creating some sort of pragmatic approach that we think will work. We don't reach them by some pragmatic approach to the Bible, which ultimately takes the Bible out of their hands. We're to disciple them just like Moses did. Now look at what else Moses does a few verses later in Numbers 27. Numbers 27, 22, after he's asked the Lord to make sure the Israelites have a shepherd, pick up in verse 22, and Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua, and he set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and he laid his hands on him, and he gave him a charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. So the Lord commands Moses, bring Joshua in front of the congregation, lay hands on him in front of everyone, and charge him. And that's exactly what he does. Moses is passing the torch to Joshua in no uncertain terms in front of all the children of Israel. This is essentially the consummation of the transition. Moses understood he needed to replace himself. Okay, so now that we've seen from the life of Moses, how he trained up Joshua and how he replaced himself and was concerned with the next generation and the discipler that he was, I want us to compare that to the life of Joshua. Joshua, man, he's an unbelievable type of Christ in the Old Testament. His life is characterized by this victory. I hesitate to ever even say anything negative about him. But we could go on, because we could go on and on with how great Joshua was. But for how great Joshua was... And all the great things we can say about Joshua, I want us to ask ourselves an important question. Who was it that Joshua was discipling? Who was it that Joshua was discipling like Moses discipled him? The dynamic that existed between Moses and Joshua is something that's noticeably absent from Joshua's life moving forward. Who did Joshua disciple to take his place? In fact, after Joshua died in Joshua chapter in Judges chapter 1 and verse 1, it says that the children of Israel, they came to God and asked him, Hey, who's going to lead us to fight against the Canaanites? They didn't know who the guy was. In Joshua 23, Joshua gives a charge to Israel's leaders because he knows he's about to die, and he says a whole lot of good things, and he encourages them to follow the Lord. It's wonderful. But who'd he lay hands on as the next leader? Who'd he bring up in front of the congregation? Who was his minister all this time? And how did that pan out for the next generation? And we get the answer to how that panned out in Judges chapter 2 and verse 8. It says, and Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in timnath Sirah, and in the Mount of Ephraim, and on the, on the north side of the hill Gash, and all 
Also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And what they do? And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods. And the gods of the people that were round about them, and they bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger, and they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. Do you see what happened to the next generation after Joshua and his generation died? They forsook the Lord and they served other gods. Now, I'm not not saying that that Joshua not discipling and investing in, in another leader to take his place was the only reason for the rebellion of the nation of Israel. But after seeing how Moses operated when in the same position of leadership as Joshua was in and seeing all that's recorded for us about Moses intentionally investing in Joshua, you have to admit that Joshua's lack of discipling is at least something that's noticeably absent. Listen, it it is so vital that as we transition in ministry that we prioritize replacing ourselves. Something else that's important that we prioritize as we transition in ministry, it it is something that's hard to miss as you study the ministry transition from Moses to Joshua, and that's to be strong and of good courage. Let it be to be strong and of good courage. In the midst of the ministry transition from Moses to Joshua, this phrase or a version of this phrase is coming up constantly. Joshua is told that by Moses... He's told it by God four different times, and he's told it by the children of Israel. And and it it comes up so much in the midst of this ministry transition that I think that it's important that we consider, why was it so important for Joshua to be strong and of good courage? And and I want us to see that from Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, God is commissioning Joshua as the new leader, and he tells Joshua three times in four verses. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and of good courage. And after each time God tells Joshua that, he gives a reason why it's important. He gives a reason why he should. The first time God says it to Joshua in this passage is chapter 1 and verse 6, where God says to him, Be strong and of good courage. Why? For unto this people thou shalt divide an inheritance, the land which I swear unto their fathers, to give them. And what we see is we need to be strong and of good courage, number one, because there's work to do. We need to be strong and of good courage because there's work to do, y'all. Right from the beginning, God is telling Joshua, there's work that needs to be done, and in order to get it done, it's going to require that you have strength and courage. And regardless of, of what ministry we may be transitioning into, whether it be now or, or whether it be in the future, we're moving into whatever position it may be because there's work that needs to be done. There's a job to do. We're the Lord's servants, and we've been tasked with a job. And whatever that job is, it's, it's not going to be easy, and there are things about it that have the potential to make us fearful. So in order to get the work done that we've been tasked with doing, we need to be strong, and we need to be courageous. Because listen, y'all, there will be attacks, There will be disappointments, there will be challenges, and everywhere you go, 
people are going to be people. But there's work to be done. You've been given a specific task to accomplish in a specific ministry that will take a lot of work. The next reason it's important to be strong and courageous according to God commissioning Joshua is, number two, because God defines success. And operating by God's definition of success takes strength and it takes courage. We see this in the following verses in Joshua 1. Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 7, says, God says to Joshua, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So anytime anybody's transitioned into, into a new position of ministry, we all want to be successful, don't we? We, we didn't get in the position to sabotage it, Right? We want whatever we're doing, whatever we're leading, or wherever we're pastoring, we want it to be defined by success. Of course, the only time the word success is found in the Bible happens to be from God to Joshua when he's transitioning in ministry. And like God is saying to Joshua, and I believe that God wants to say to us, don't forget that God defines success. There's a way that we humans tend to tend to define success, and there's a way that God defines it. We tend to define it solely by numbers. More people equals more success. That's a simple formula. The only problem with that is, is that that's not how God defined it. Here's how God defines prospering and having success in these verses. Do everything God's word says. Don't turn from it to the right Or to the left, don't ever stop talking about it. Don't ever stop thinking about it. And then we'll be prosperous and have good success based on how God defines it. Psalm chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, the psalmist says the same thing. And here's how he says it. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And in order to do that, it's going to take being strong and courageous because doing all those things won't always make us the most popular. It won't always make us the most liked it may mean that we lose people sometimes. People may get mad at us. But if we're not willing to do that, then we're not ready for the ministry that we're transitioning into. It takes strength and courage to stick to the stuff. And then God gives Joshua this same admonition one more time in this passage. And he tells Joshua to be strong and very courageous because God is with him. We can be strong and courageous, number three, because God is with us. God says to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage? It's like, yeah, God, you 
I'm getting the drift. You, you have definitely been doing that. I, I've heard that from you quite a few times now. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage? Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Here's why we're able to be strong and courageous in the midst of ministry transitions. Because God is with us wherever we go. Of course, ministry transitions can be scary. And they can be intimidating. But we need to be strong and courageous and we're able to do that wherever we go because God is with us. In Psalm chapter 46 and verse 1, the psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. We're strong because he is our strength. Hebrews chapter 13 Verses 5 and 6, starting in the second half of, of verse 5, it says, For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me, because God will never leave us or forsake us. We can boldly say, The Lord is my helper. In other words, the Lord is my strength. And we don't have to fear. In other words, we can be courageous. Just like we saw in Judges, we can be strong and courageous because God is with us wherever we go. Man, I, I, I hope as, we, as we've looked at, at, at some of these things, man, I hope that they'll be helpful to some of y'all. I know that some of you are in the midst of ministry transition. Some of you, it might not be hitting you right where you are now, but it's hitting you where you might be soon. I'm praying that, 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 that some of this will, you'll be able to apply whenever the time comes. Ministry transitions have the potential to be a sticky thing. But I do believe that God laid out for us some principles that, that, that I believe we've been seeing this morning that they can make these transitions as successful in God's eyes as they can possibly be. There's predicaments, there's pitfalls, but with the right perspective and the right priorities, our ministry transitions can be a success. Father, we love you. We, we thank you for the privilege of serving you. Wow, what an unbelievable thought that we get to do this. We get to disciple people. We get to teach your word to people, and we get to tell them about your love and your truth and the way that you care for them and that you died for them, God, and that you, he wants us to have abundant life in him. Man, what an unbelievable privilege that is. I can't get over it, and I, I just thank you so much for that. I thank you for this, this group of people, God, that desires to know you, desires to be a part of the mission, desires to disciple and I pray, God, that you would bless them. And we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.